Spot podcast. I hope you guys are all doing well. Um, before we get into into it, let me introduce who I've got with me, Orlando. It's been a bit of a while, but you're back. I am back. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. I've yeah, it has been a while, but new season is fully underway. Um, things are getting moving, and there's lots to talk about. So yeah, looking forward to it. Exactly. And Rob, it's been a while for you as well, I think. But it's very happy to have you on as well. Yeah, first time this season, I think. But no, always a pleasure to be on. And as usual, Chelsea loads to talk about, so excited to get into it. Exactly. And the first thing we should talk about is the Leeds game. And, um, well, yeah, I mean, it was a simple 3-0 loss. We were pretty much embarrassed on all stages. And it was just one of those games. Um, but yeah, Rob, what, what, what were your overall thoughts after? And I guess you've had now a few days to really think about what actually went on yeah it's a funny one it's it's one of those games I actually watched without Twitter on the side and it, it does make football far more enjoyable but it also meant that kind of my, my views on the game now are exactly the same as they were full time or was it kind of led into this pit of negativity but um yeah I, and you kind of lose it, it, it one of those days um but what I do think has happened is if you were kind of looking on Twitter or the post-match reaction you would think we were terrible from minute one and everything was catastrophic and it was just one of those days but I kind of took a different perspective. I thought for the first 20, 25 minutes, I thought we were all right. I thought we looked good. We were moving the ball quickly. We were creating not bucket loads of chances, but we were creating enough that we should have gone ahead. And then we just kind of fell into that familiar script that I feel like I see kind of 10 times a season at this stage, where just a random unforced error just plays perfectly into Leeds' hands. And then there's a crazy five minutes we can't recover from. And from that point onwards, you kind of got the feeling when the second goal went in, this isn't a Chelsea side that's going to get back into it. I don't think we're great at coming back into games where we're in that position, especially when the atmosphere is against us. So, yeah, it's just one of those where the players just started to become a bit cowardly. We took far too long on the ball, always played it safe and just played more and more into Leeds' hands. And it's kind of it just became a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy from that point. I don't think we're ever going to get back into it, but it felt a bit more of a mentality to feature we say than a tactical one because I thought we were fine in the main and you can't account for those kind of errors and mental collapse um the only thing I would say that was a bit odd and I don't know what you guys thought so is that the substitutions towards the end were a bit strange you're seeing two players come on the pitch both of which probably don't have a future at the club um but it might have just been that the game was already done and it's damage limitation from that point onwards but yeah I, I think it's important to retain um, retain perspective on this it was not a great day at the office Spurs was a great day at the office. Sometimes this just happens. I think it's important that we kind of keep perspective. It's, it's not all doom and gloom, let's say. Yeah, and I, I just I did want to mention, I'm not going to really use it as an excuse, but if you look at the other top teams as well, it's not like they've been winning nine points out of nine points as well. It's like There's a lot of players, I don't want to say out fitness, but I mean, Tuchel has mentioned it so many times now. They're already thinking about the World Cup and think just loads of things have gone on over the summer and stuff like that. I mean, Liverpool have looked really, really bad. Um, and City have, you know, drawn against Newcastle and things like that. So, in that sense, yeah, I mean, it's 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 fine. And, you know, it's the first few games of the season. The transfer window is still open. 
Um, but yeah, Orlando, did you did you just see it as a pretty much a one-off as well? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm not sure one-off is the exact word I would use to describe it because it does seem like we have this kind of result pretty much every season. Um, but I'm just, I don't think that's that deep, really. I think that's what happens in the Premier League um, and, in, and at top-level football in general. Anyone can beat anyone. And when you're not at it, when you give silly goals away, I mean, I completely agree with what Rob said. We started pretty well. We were fine. Um, it was a pretty even game. We were creating chances. Um, and then we concede one, one well, that's basically an own goal, and then one set-piece goal. And then you're 2-0 down inside, I think, 25 minutes. And it, and it looks very tough from there. And, and the game ended up playing into these hands. And to their credit, they were very, very good. Uh, I think that was yeah, a really good performance from them. Um, and I agree with what you said, Path. I don't think... Uh, sorry, that was Rob who said it. Uh, I don't think the substitutions were really ever going to get us back into the game. Um, but, you know, I mean, we had a, a really nice goal from Sterling, marginally offside. Um, we hit the woodwork. I think it's just a lot of things I was seeing on. Well, I set myself this rule always to never look at Twitter after um, after a big Chelsea loss or a bad performance because you it's just a cesspit really you get dragged into all sorts of um crazy overreactions and I think there were lots of those and I think there is there is no point uh in in reacting like that when we had such a good performance against Spurs last weekend um and it's clear that this game was kind of dictated by goals that Chelsea won't be conceding on a regular basis um so in that sense, one-off is is the word you could use to describe it. Exactly. I think, yeah, you guys summarised it pretty well and we'll come on to it later. But for example, um, you look at someone like Conor Gallagher's performance in midfield and you could, the, the same way people have sort of overreacted to Conor in a pivot, yeah, okay, I don't think he's as good as some of the other midfielders, which is expected because they're sort of first-team pivot midfielders. But um, and I still think he can absolutely do do a job there. Um, but like the same way people are re- uh, reacting to overreacting to that performance, like you don't see people overreacting to Kula Bali at left centre back um, after he had an absolute stinker against Leeds. You don't see people saying he's not good enough. Blah 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 blah. Um, so it's just like okay, it's it's one of them and. I think, I mean, yeah, I just think we have to move on to the next game, um, which we'll, we'll we'll come on to later. Um, so yeah, that was Leeds in a nutshell, pretty much. It probably won't happen again for some while, and hopefully it doesn't. Um, but yeah, I think we 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 should talk about the the transfer stuff, um, and we'll, we'll we'll come on to the incomings first because we did talk about it heavy in the last episode of the podcast and. I did, I did want to mention it again. And the three really main points at the moment is Anthony Gordon, Aubameyang and Fafana. Um, we'll go to Fafana first because it's a nice, easy discussion where I think all three of us do want the deal to happen. And I think as much as I think there's a real poker game going on between Chelsea and Leicester, I think, I think all of us um, do think it will happen as well. Um, in that sense, we will just eventually pay up, or eventually Leicester 
we'll lower their demands because it has just come out as well. I mean, as expected, he's not in the squad against us. Um, he's 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 been training with the twenty ones this whole week as well, so he's pretty much forcing as much as he wants. And Leicester just aren't gonna miss out on seventy million. I, I really don't think they'll miss out on that. Um, so yeah, I mean, if 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 anyone else has got anything to, else to say on Fafana, otherwise you can move on. No, I don't think there is anything else to say really. I mean. Yeah, hopefully the deal gets done. I think it will get done. Um, and well, one okay, the one thing I would say is, I think this whole thing. I understand why they're taking it slowly, and I understand why they want to get the best deal. But I do think some people, some fans, are getting a lot too worked up about the fee. Um, because if you look at I mean, obviously, they're talking about the 70, 75, 80, 85 million region. Um, but the difference between 70 and 80 or even 85 is one Cesare Casadei, who may or may not ever go on to make a first team performance. You know, it's like two thirds of a Davide Zappacosta. So when you're Chelsea, obviously, obviously, that kind of money is, is crazy money. Um, but when you're Chelsea and when you're making so many signings, constantly it's like i don't understand why people seem to think that this this difference in these fees makes such a big difference i'd I'd completely agree with that and i'm probably going to sound like a complete hypocrite later on in this pod if we talk about some of the other prospective signings but when it comes to fafana as as you said when it's between 70 to 85 he's going to be potentially our center back for the next 10 years and we all know his caliber we all know his class it's one of those where, yeah, I wouldn't be pulling my hair out over the fee at this point. You know you're getting a proven quality. You know what he's come, what he's going to bring to the side. So, yeah, likewise, I wouldn't be too worried about the fee. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. I think it's just something which we really should be looking to get done. And, I mean, ideally, you know, he gets in the squad against Southampton um, in midweek, but we will see about that. Um, but, yeah, I think the next two deals are definitely much larger talking points. Um, and I'll go to I'll go to Orlando first and Anthony Gordon, and then we'll go to Rob after and Aubameyang, and you can add on to Gordon if you want. But, yeah, Orlando, Anthony Gordon, 60, 50, whatever mil. This is where you're talking about money and being wasted, aren't you? Yeah, you are. I mean... First of all, I want to say I'm quite a big fan of Anthony Gordon. I think he's a really good player. And I think if we do end up signing him, he will do pretty well. So I want to preface yeah. preface what I'm about to say with that. I think I'm not saying that he will do badly by any means. I'm not saying that he's a bad player. I've seen a lot of that on Twitter going around that he's just, you know, he's not Chelsea level or whatever. And I don't think that's quite true. But you're talking about paying 50 60 million pounds for a young English winger who has done well with a platform given to him by his club to play games to uh, make mistakes to learn to develop at Premier League level and and he's ended up becoming their main man getting the number 10 shirt one of the first names on the team sheet and now set to be sold for for a big money fee and then in the same week, potentially, you are sending out on loan a young English winger with bags of potential, with bags of ability, who has not been given 
their platform by his club. Um, but despite that, we're still subject to a bid of 50, 60 million pounds two years ago from one of Europe's biggest clubs in Bayern Munich. So you compare those two and you just think, what are you doing? Like, how does that make any sense? Um, with regards to hudson Adoy going out on loan, I think you have to look at it from the perspective of accepting how things are at this point in time. It's so far from ideal. The situation has been handled so badly, but I think it is true that a loan is the best thing for him at the moment. So where he can go out and really be sure that he'll get good minutes, consistent minutes at a good level in his desired position. Um, but if you're sending him out, he does brilliantly and he comes back and Gordon's there. Like, you know, what's the point? Um, it, it really is kind of one of the, it seems to me it would be one of the dumbest things Chelsea have done. And that is really, really saying something. Um, and that's also not to mention the fact that if you're going to play Gordon in the front three, his profile is pretty similar to that of, of Conor Gallagher in those areas. Someone who brings energy, someone who's a tireless runner, someone who has good set piece delivery um, and someone who, who will pop up in good areas. Um, so, I mean, it just seems unnecessary. And if you're going to use him at right wing back, I mean, you're spending 50, 60 million pounds on someone who's not a right wing back to play him at right wing back. Um, it's just, it doesn't really make any sense. Um, it's not needed. We we have enough attackers. If we're going to sell Ziyech, Pulisic, whatever, then, um, you know, we may as well just keep Hudson-Odoi or we may as well um, go out and, and buy someone who has who we're buying on on the basis of their current ability rather than their, than their potential, I would say. Just on that point, I just I mean, I completely agree with everything you've said there on the squad composition, but it's one of those transfers where I think the price range changes everything and how you have to look at it. Like if this was like 30 million, I'd, I'd understand it, right? It's a solid option coming in. He's going to provide depth across the squad. There's potential to improve. But because it's 60 million, your your return on investment is solely on the pitch at this point. He has to come in. He has to make an immediate impact because if he doesn't, you're not making any profit on him. It's not one of these like a Cassidy or, or Chukwu maker where they come in and you, even if they don't live up to the hype, you're probably going to get your money back. He has to come in and hit, hit it immediately. And you look at his profile, as you said there, I don't know whether he comes in and immediately elevates us, which for 60 million, a player should have to. Because if you're signing someone for 60 million, it, it kind of implies to me that you're you're desperate for the player or you think, yeah, they're, they're the missing piece of my jigsaw. That's why I'm spending this money. And, and I don't see how he is. And, and I have a little bit of sympathy because, as you've said, he's a good player and he might go on to become a great player. But just the price range, just it, it completely baffles me and say, this is why I'm a massive hypocrite because I've just said go splash 20 more mil on Fafana. But I just don't see Gordon in that same profile where he's going to be a guarantee of success. I think there's enough concerns and enough doubts that, for me, I'd say I can't fathom why you'd even get close to that fee for him. And the other thing for me is, even if he, he does end up to be a great success, which I think there is a, a relatively large chance of, I still would not say it's a good signing and I would still say it's not worth the money because, as I said, if you're spending 60 million on a player, that's a 
a kind of indication that you're going to trust him you're going to give him a lot of minutes and if you did that to Hudson Odoi I'm 100% confident you know we we the last time I think the only time really he's ever got a stretch in the team in his preferred position under Thomas Tuchel um we won seven games on the trot um and yeah I'm 100% confident that Hudson Odoi would would um would do well and would be kind of equal to a 50 60 million outlay on a new signing if he were actually given that chance but you know I think we have to be realistic that's not going to happen um for whatever reason um but I think regardless of that in terms of strategy Gordon does not seem like a can I let's say yeah, an intelligent I, signing I agree can I just come in and say like as as you've said spending 60 million you know you're expecting things straight away I think the thing is, as well, he doesn't start for us right now. In like, I think he gets minutes, but if you're looking in a Premier League game, he's Tuchel trusts Mount, as I think most managers would. Um, and then he starts Raheem Sterling, and he wants a Bamyang. Like that is his front three. Like, surely Gordon doesn't even start for us. And okay, he's a right wing backup. Like, obviously Gordon will get minutes. I see. I see the point from his view. Obviously, we've got so many competitions. He's going to get minutes. But like, you spend sixty million, you need someone who's going to impact at the team um and you know gordon doesn't do that so so i think that's a that's a problem in that sense um but yeah i mean rob if you want to i mean we can talk about the next player i mean that was gordon and pretty much given our opinions on that but abamyang as well seems another deal where we're like mm, what are we doing it's just another head scratcher isn't it it's one of those where you, you cannot convince me how this isn't worse than sari and higuain or maybe maybe worse on par should i say it, it's one of those where you're looking at a big price. I think what we're talking is at 20 million is the price we're willing to go to for a player who's 34. And again, it's similar to Gordon, I don't know what immediate problem he solves. You've just let like 150 million worth of strikers go in Lukaku and Werner. And you, you can kind of logically talk about whether they fit into the team. I don't see how Aubameyang comes in and improves us on any level either. He's just another option. And when you're into that calibre again of, OK, he's, he's a good player. I, I don't doubt he's a good player. I don't know why you'd be so desperate to spend that money and, and probably big wages as well. Again, when you've got someone like Broya waiting in the wings, who not only is going to save you money on the on the Aubameyang wages and fees, but it's arguably going to make you more money if you get to the end of the season and you go, OK, maybe it's, it's not going to work out. But like with Abraham, you can turn him for a tidy profit. It, it just to me doesn't make sense it's these kind of weird short-term decisions that sit in the midst of what I think in the main has been quite a good summer and it feels like we're at real risk of just throwing it away in the last week without any immediate improvement so again with Gordon I just I, I don't understand why we're so desperate I, I can't get my head around it and then when you add in the financials on top of that yeah you're just left scratching your head wondering what the hell's going on yeah and the thing I really don't get with Aubameyang is all the indications we've seen so far this season is that Tuchel wants to play a really fluid front three. You know, we've seen Havertz as the nominal number nine, but I mean, against Everton, it, for sure, it was more Sterling as the number nine. Uh, against Spurs, we kind of played with two strikers. It's clear that, I mean, if Aubameyang came in, yes, maybe he would score goals. I mean, even that is not a guarantee, but what you lose in terms of fluidity and also in terms of... Um, off the ball uh, stuff, I think, is enough for him to not not justify a place in the team. Uh, because, well, we saw what happened with his Arsenal exit. I think 
yes, it's true that he has he has much improved since he's joined Barcelona, and fair play to him for that. But I mean, as you said, you're spending a fee. A cons- I mean, it's not a large fee, but it's also it's something, um, and massive wages on a 34 year old um, striker. And I think these these kinds of signings are maybe a little bit more justifiable if you're going uh, for. Uh, I don't know, I, experience, if you want to say. I mean, I know Thiago Silva, we brought in a similar kind of signing, and, and he's obviously been magnificent. But um, do you need experience in forward areas? I, I, I feel like as, as forwards get older, they just get worse. They don't really kind of... I don't, I don't really see what experience is going to bring you. The other point, I mean, are we suddenly going to start changing the way we're playing now if Amiens comes in. Like we, we just let loads of strikers go that can play in behind and utilise their pace. I, I don't see just bringing in Aubameyang really changes anything. I think we're just going to see another isolated figure that's getting no chances. It, it's going to be the same problem. There's still no creativity. So again, I, I, would, I would maybe be able to justify it if you could look at Aubameyang's going, yep, this is the missing piece of our front line and he's now going to slot in all these chances we're creating, he's going to finish them. But I just think we're going to see another frustrated striker that gets no real service. It it, it doesn't work for a number of reasons. Mm. I also I also don't know whether he's that pacey striker anymore. Like I I admit I have not watched a single game of his at Barcelona. And okay at Arsenal he was this I th- I think yeah he was brilliant at Arsenal and I would have happily taken him when we were linked with him two years ago under Frank. But I have to say I I haven't watched him. You know, at Barca, so I don't know, but I, I really, really doubt he's this same striker he was at Arsenal. Um, and sort of the style of. But even and, if he is, yeah. even if he is, like the that, that that doesn't suit our style of play, as I keep on saying. Like, mm, yeah. when have we ever scored a goal under Tuchel from players running in behind? I mean, I'm sure it's happened a few times, but that's not how we score the majority of our goals because most teams play a very low block against us. Um, I yeah, I just think he's just going to be, as Rob said, a really isolated figure um i think he probably will score a few goals um i think goal scoring won't be won't be the worst but i think in general i don't think he will work at all i think i think maybe it's a somewhat similar uh situation to ronaldo at united um where yes maybe he's scoring goals but it's coming at the detriment of of team play absolutely um and that sort of Bringing on to our, my next point, we'll talk about like, like I think as much as we're saying this, I think we all can very much see Abania and you need Gordon in a Chelsea shirt in the next week, and that takes me on to the next point of like the need for a director of football. Um, and sort of how I mean, I wrote I wrote a piece about where I'm really emphasised on it, where you just let Tuchel do the coaching, give them the players, and you'll you'll see the benefits. But because currently we are letting Tuchel getting involved in the transfer stuff, which is, you know, is understandable because we have let the likes of Marina and Petrček go and things like that. Um, so it does make sense for him to get involved, but it does lead to us signing players like Aubameyang and Anthony Gordon for ridiculous prices as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Rob, what, what do you think? I mean, we were, well, we, I, I think it's clear we want a director of football, and but is it a matter of just waiting for the right one? I would say so. I think this is probably one of those where it might be more important than any signing we make on the pitch, to be honest. And you look at Chelsea as a club and it's probably kind of mouthwatering for any potential director of football because there is such a 
a wealth of assets that you can utilize that at this moment in time just aren't being utilized in the right way. You've got a kind of almost seems this summer an infinite pool of money that you can spend on kind of targets that you want. And equally, you've got Cobham sat in the background that is just producing player after player that even if you want to go from a cynical financial perspective, that should bankroll you for the foreseeable as well. So I think it's crucial we get this right. And, and given that we're coming towards the end of the window now, I don't see the immediate push to get someone. Let's just say an Edwards is saying wait four months. For me, I'd, I'd rather we just waited and get it right because we know where the season's going to go. So it's, it's not going to be a season where we're going to compete for titles. So, yeah, for me, I, I think it's super important, as you said, get Tuchel away from transfers. And that's not a criticism of him. He's a coach. He shouldn't be put in a position where he's picking players. He shouldn't be in a position where he can opt to spend 90 million on, on Bamiyang and Gordon. Just say to him, these are the players at your disposal, use them. And, and we might find a situation, this could be wishful thinking, where all of a sudden these Cobham players start to get more of a chance because Tuchel isn't having his head turned by an Bamiyang. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, here's Armand Brogia, make use of him. Uh, we might see that kind of happen and say it might be wishful thinking. But for me, I think it's so critical we get this right because it, it's such an important role. Absolutely. And the other thing I would say is people maybe forget this or don't even realise, but Tuchel won the Champions League coming in mid-season and having to work with the players that were there. Um, and that's the greatest success he has had at Chelsea today. Um, and it's all kind of been a little bit underwhelming since. So I think, yeah, I mean, the example, the best like, example I would give is last summer when we sold Mark Gurhi for 18 mil to Crystal Palace um, and he went on to become their captain and one of the best young centre-backs in the Prem and everybody knows about that. But if you just say to him, look, here are your centre-backs that you're going to work with, win games. And he has to say, fine, then you're going to end up developing not only a better squad of players and a a younger, more... um, yeah, just better squad of players. You're also going to end up developing a squad of players with more value. And everything there points to a better business model, not only a better football footballing model. So, yeah, I think obviously you can make that argument with every kind of Cobham, Cobham graduate who has gone on to do big things elsewhere. But I think, yeah, I think this is the model that the 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 best big clubs in 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 the world are adopting at the moment you know the best example of course is liverpool um where the manager has very little input onto the signings and i think you know that's worked out well for them so i think that's certainly the best and especially when it's a manager like tuchel who i think we can all say does not have the best talent id um yeah it would just be so much easier for everyone and as part said i i think it's understandable that he's been given uh license in this transfer window because when you've got the new ownership coming in there's not really been any time to plan but i just think there's no need to make knee-jerk decisions i think a lot of the potential signings this window are pretty unnecessary and i think things would actually be a lot better if we just stuck with sterling koulibaly um and whoever the third one is i've forgotten um but Kukurea. but you know that is a pretty good summer um and it would be better if we just if we just said right enough thomas 
I think planning is like the operative word as well there, because I mean you've hit the nail on the head. Like you, you would not see Liverpool or City signing Aubameyang, and and I get, and I say I will, I will let it go on Aubameyang soon. But you kind of get the point that it, it's it's a desperate signing, and we've in the past, even before Bowley, we, we've been so guilty of being opportunistic of just seeing a player that's available and going, oh, he's available, bring him in, and there's never any kind of long term squad planning. So even if you look at Tuchel going, I need Aubameyang now because he's what's going to help me essentially stay in my job. You just don't want that thought process. You just want someone higher up that goes, this is Chelsea. This is how we're going to structure our squad. And this is how it's going to be for the foreseeable, regardless of whoever it is that sits in that kind of manager's chair. And, and we're fortunate we've got someone like Tuchel that is one of the best in the world. But it's just having that, I guess, perspective of longevity rather than trying to put out fires left, right and centre. Because you should only, in my mind, be going for an Aubameyang if you have an injury crisis, not if you've sold £150 million worth of strikers and you've got a 20-year-old sat on the bench that every other club in Europe seems to want. It, there's so much kind of contradiction in our, in our decision-making that if someone can come in and rule that out, I think it'd be most welcome. Exactly. And we can just hope that comes in by next summer, I guess, because it's definitely not happening that soon. Um, but, Alanda, you mentioned sort of Coven graduates leaving on to do good things and there could be two more in the sense that Conor Gallagher and Billy Gilmore I know you wanted to talk about them so I'll hand that straight back to you but Billy is has been the complete forgotten man I don't he's training with the 21s I suspect he could play in the 21s game tomorrow we'll talk about that later um and Conor Gallagher like I mean it was very I mean the I mean, Tuchel and Connor literally made it so clear at the beginning of preseason they, there was a whole media thing about him being told he was staying the season and yet I still believe I can definitely see him moving on loan again. Like there is a small chance I can definitely see that happening. Um, if, you know, they had discussions again, because it looks like we're going to continue with this pivot and that leaves Connor in sort of the fifth choice really after the main three and you'd probably rather Ruben in a pivot. So Orlando, yeah, um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think the whole Connor thing again, just stems into the overreaction from the Leeds game. I think. First of all, this is his first game in a pivot since, um, well, he played there a few times for Charlton in his first ever loan, but since being in the Chelsea Academy, really. But in the Chelsea Academy, he played in the pivot all the time and he was really good. Um, So this is his first game in a pivot at Premier League level. This is his first game for Chelsea, his first start. And this is against the, I think anyway, the most high pressing team in the league and it's also with Chelsea's best midfielder out injured so and it also comes in a just a bad Chelsea performance in general um so I think a lot of people are saying this and seeing this and yes Connor didn't have a very good performance but a lot of people are seeing that and going oh he's not a pivot player he can't play in the pivot he's yeah he needs to he doesn't fit into full system I don't know why Tuchel's trying to use him he should go out on loan Chelsea should cash in blah 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 he's going to be a really good asset for Chelsea this season and in the future. And I think people, people don't understand that different games are different. Different games play out differently. He actually offers something that this squad does not have in terms of real dynamism uh, in, in central midfield pushing forward, um, especially given Kante's injury issues. Um, So, yeah, I don't think there's any need to worry. I don't think Tuchel will be worrying either, to be honest. I think a lot of this recent talk about him potentially leaving on loan um, is is rubbish, to be honest. I think, yes, there are teams who want to take him on loan and 
yes, there are teams who may be seeing the same things as, as us and see, saying, well, maybe after that performance, he's not going to want to stay, Tuchel's not going to want him, whatever. But I think that is really um, showing a lack of perspective, a lack of understanding of the situation. And I think he's, yeah, I think he'll do well this season, really. I think he needs to give be given time to adapt also to the style of play because he hasn't really played in a position based system again since he's, since he was in the academy um so he needs to have time he needs to be given minutes um and Tuchel has said all these things like repeatedly in in different uh press conferences so yeah I think there's really no need to worry about Connor um on Billy though yeah I mean I say all that about Connor but I could also make a strong argument to say that Billy would have done a better job than him in the Leeds game. And I don't think that's any slight on Connor. It's just about uh, play styles. Um, and I think, well, yeah, it's a really, it's really sad, isn't it? I feel so bad for Billy because um, as uh, Phil at Chelsea Youth on Twitter has pointed out, the main reason you send someone out on loan to a Premier League side is for them to get reps, to get experience, to of what it's like starting week in week out in the Premier League. Um, he played for the worst side in the division. He he did not do that well um, in terms of performances or, or on on surface level anyway. But if you look at Ruben Loftus Cheek when he was at Fulham, which is the exact same situation by the way. Um, even Fulham fans were saying he was one of their worst players. And and he's come from that to being a, a good regular contributor for Chelsea the, the following season. Um, and, you know, he was like man of the match against Spurs, arguably. He, he's been, you know, he, he's clearly going to play a big role this season. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's unfortunate because he could be someone who, again, easily could play a role for Chelsea this season and he could also be someone who could play a big role for many many other clubs uh, in the Premier League in Europe uh, this season and that may be the case but I think it's just very unfortunate that it's taken this long or it, it is still taking time for him to 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 get his future for this season sorted out because he can be such a good player and I mean you think in an alternate universe where he doesn't end up getting that knee injury against Crystal Palace in Project Restart, Restart when Lampard was still in charge. You know, he would have ended up probably starting all those games. He could be seen as one of the best young midfielders in, in Europe currently. And, and that's just how the cookie crumbles, really. That's how things go. Um, but I think, yeah, he is a little bit the forgotten man at the moment. And I really hope that, that things end up working out for him this season, because I do think he still has a future at Chelsea if, if things, if things uh, work out. Rob, do you have anything to add before? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'll hit the nail on the head. It, it's the, the strange thing with Billy for me is just like it, it's the lack of, I guess, grey matter. It's kind of like he's just out of the picture and he's just gone. And you kind of look at it and go, you must surely see a player like Gilmore. And even if he's not necessarily in your long term plans, for whatever reasons, you must still look at him and go, he has a skill set that this squad could do with right now, given the midfield crisis. But it just seems, as Alana said, he's out in the cold. Um, I, I'm not as optimistic that he comes back in unless something seriously changes from a kind of hierarchical standpoint. It it feels like that loan spell was the final nail in the coffin, but incredibly unfairly. So fingers crossed he comes back in. But yeah, I'm not I'm not hugely hopeful. 
Yeah, I think what's most disappointing about Billy's situation is like, okay, yeah, he didn't have a great loan at Norwich. And as you said, really, that's not the end of the world because as we saw with Ruben at Fulham and sort of Ethan at Sheffield United and and Billy at Norwich is another one. Um, this is a guy who even under Tuchel in his first six months at the club was a really, really good player for us. I remember that City away game where he actually gave away the pen, but the rest of the game he was outstanding. And he literally, I remember Rudiger in the post-match conference literally singled out Billy without any prompt and praised him for his performance in midfield. And it's sort of like Tuchel knows what he can do and he's completely disregarded him, um, which is the most disappointing thing. And I think he just needs that confidence back up because... Um, I was watching him in the in the sort of preseason academy games when he was playing with the twenty ones, and he just looked really short of confidence. If I'm being honest, and that's sort of up to the club and the managers to sort out. Um, so I think personally, he's waiting. He well, he was waiting on Lampard to get him for from Everton, and I don't think that's happening. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see what Billy what, what happens with Billy in the next six days. Um, and on and on Connor, like. Um, with what what Orlando was saying, I I completely agree in the fact that people were reacting and it's his first game and things like that. And I think he absolutely would be fine in the pivot, but I'm not sure whether what's going to be seen in Tuchel's mind, because I think Tuchel starts the the three main guys who he always goes on about, Jorginho, Carver and Kante. I think they're always going to be starting games if they're fit. And then it's pretty much between him and Ruben, I'd say, with with Fafana coming in, that's pretty much resettled in at right wing back. And so it's pretty much between, I'd say, Connor and Ruben. Um, and I'm not sure who who's seen in Tuchel's mind um, as a head, I, sh- I guess you could say, at the moment. Um, I think Ruben probably sort of, I mean, they sort of have different roles in the pivot. I guess Ruben secures that ball. He's not really going to lose it that much. But Connor's going to, you know, he's going to give that energy. He's going to, you know, try and do things in front of goal and things like that. Um, so I think it will be interesting. Yeah, I think Connor, I think Connor will stay. But I I, I, I personally wouldn't rule it, rule it out a low move. Um, a later one with the World Cup in mind for him. I think that is the big thing for him, making the World Cup squad. Um, but as as we all know, there are so many fixtures before um, the World Cup. I think, especially with this Carabao Cup game added, we a few people tweeted out the fixture list, and we've got like six or seven ridiculous games in a row just before it starts. So hopefully, you know, he'll get minutes there, and he could even get minutes in the front three, as we've said. Um, if you know, if the likes of Ziyech leave, Hudson the Doyle leave, and it's just Anthony Gordon coming in, he he has a chance there as well. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that all those situations get sorted out and few discussions. Um, but there there is another potential outgoing. I I do think it will happen if Fafana comes in. I mean, we've been pretty much told it it will happen, and to well, I'll get onto it. Chalaber is basically told to call that if you're not going to play me, then you know just let me go on loan or sell me. Um, so I think that's very much the situation now. It got reported heavily yesterday into Milan, AC Milan, Leipzig. They're all interested in him. Um, and it's a bit of a shame, isn't it, Rob? Because I mean, we Trev in when you when you really summarise, he had a very very good loan. Sorry, very very good first season under Tuchel in his first season in the Premier League. Yeah, I'm glad you called out that he had a good season because I think there's a, a weird narrative that he didn't based on kind of the way that the season ended, which is for me just completely unjustified. He he started brilliantly. I think way better than probably most people would have predicted. Had a couple of moments, yeah, 
which you'd expect from a debut uh, kind of debut season defender coming into a new team. But he was still good. And then it, for me, it just felt like he was disproportionately punished compared to the other centre-backs. Say he wasn't worse than Christensen. He wasn't worse than Aspilicueta when he came in. But the moment he went out of the team, that was kind of it. He didn't get a look back in. And for some reason, the narrative has now been painted that he had a poor season and all that kind of stuff. It's just not true. Um, but in, in terms of his outgoing, I mean, it, it's disappointing. It, it, it absolutely is. It's always disappointing to see these players go. And it's one of those... I would be comfortable with letting a player like Trev go to bring in a Fafana. It, it, as much as I like Trev, it's an upgrade. The, the problem for me is that you've just given Aspilicueta a two-year extension, and that's probably the reason Trev's going. I don't know whether it's because he's a victim of being the only one on our books that actually retains any kind of value sale-wise. No one's coming in for silver. No one's going to spend good money on Aspilicueta. He's the only one that maybe kind of brings us some value, but I'm not convinced that's the, the motive behind it. He's just been really harshly... <laughs> put out in the cold and, and I, I can't fathom why I thought we looked like a better team with him in it I thought Reese James benefited when he played alongside him our progression down the right in general was far far better um, but yeah but clearly for whatever reason like we've seen with a couple of players Tuchel doesn't see it that way he's kind of been put out in the cold so at this point if, if he's not going to play which I don't think he will if you've got Fafana and Aspilicueta sitting there then a loan deal is probably the best one but I think kind of similar to the others I think the moment he kind of leaves the club I wouldn't be holding my breath that they come back. And then that's a shame. Orlando, do you think we're short on centre-backs if Trev goes? Yeah. Um, not. I wouldn't say we're short on centre-backs, but I would say like someone like Ampadu will have to stay. And I think that is just a waste. I think... What, okay, what I would say is there would be, in my view, plenty of minutes for Trev if he does stay, regardless of Fafana coming in. Because I think, yes, you've given Aspi the new contract, but he he's bad. Like, he's not good at right centre-back. And that will become evident pretty quickly if you're giving him as, as many minutes as, as he would get in that role in the squad. Um, I would have full confidence that Trev, um, because of how good he is, would play himself into good minutes over the course of the season. And I think just because you're not necessarily playing in the first few games of the season when it's, you know, one game a week doesn't mean that you're not going to have a large role. But having said that, I completely understand him potentially wanting to leave because you've got someone here who is, he's, he's young, he's homegrown. He has been on several loans and he's come back and he's done really, really well. Um, He's a versatile defender. He's got basically everything you would want uh, in in a kind of squad player who's pushing for more minutes. And he's done really well in his first season for the club. And then you kind of leave him in the cold for the whole of preseason. You flirt with all these defenders. You bring new ones in. And you don't give him any guarantees of what's going to happen next season. And to me, that is just terrible treatment of a player who has done really well for you. Um, and I completely understand him not feeling valued. Um, I think I would, I don't really have a preference either way because I understand if he goes and I think if he goes, he'll end up doing well wherever he lands. Um, but on the other hand, I would also be happy if he stays because he's one of my favourite players and I think he would end up playing games uh, regardless of what happens. Um, 
but yeah, there are minutes there because obviously you've got the two main guys who left, uh, Rudiger and Christensen, who both played big roles last season. Um, and you've, you're bringing in Koulibaly, who is, um, you know, seems to be really good, but is over 30. And you bring in Fafana, who is also really good, but um, is young and has also proven to be somewhat injury prone. And I'm not talking about this recent big injury. He's just, I think, yeah, in all his professional seasons, he's never played like like a full season. Um, but also you've got Thiago Silva, who played a big role last year who is the oldest outfield player in the Premier League, and he, he's only getting older, right, with time. Uh, you've also got Azpilicueta, who surely will play less of a role than he did last season. Um, and you've also got Malang Sar leaving, who who somehow played a, quite a big role last season. Um, so there are minutes there. There really are. Um, but it's just... Yeah, it's frustrating that there doesn't seem to be that much planning and it's kind of like we're in the last week of the transfer window. We're three weeks into the season and we're still like, oh, we'll just see what happens. It'll work itself out, blah, blah, blah. But really, Trev should have been given assurances first week of preseason. You're, well, first of all, you're in the squad like that. I mean, it's crazy that that is not necessarily the case. Um, but second of all, this is this is your standing in the squad. This is where you can push for more minutes. This is where you will definitely get minutes and, and so on. Um, and it's unfortunate that that wasn't the case. But, you know, as we have all seen, he's he's a really good player. And he'll, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I've learned to see to, to see these kinds of things from the player's perspective rather than from the perspective of a Chelsea fan. Because if you look at someone like Ricardo Tamori, Tammy Abraham, whatever, I'm delighted for them that they've gone on to do great things away from Chelsea. And if that ends up being the same for Trev, then then so be it. And I'll be I'll be happy for him. Exactly. Um, and I think this upcoming weekend could really tell the story for you with Koulibaly out injured. I think we also well we all suspect he'll be Cucurello and Chilwell at left wing back. But realistically, if you're Ethan or Trev, you're looking at Tugun like, okay, if you play me at left hand back, then maybe I'll stick. I'll try and stick around. But if you're not going to be, then I'm going to want to leave the club. And I think Ethan. I think Ethan is really, really going to want to leave the club as well. With the World Cup in mind, he's got he's got Wales in December, November. He's going to want to play. And to be told, oh yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think he will be forced to stick around um, with Trev going. So. And can I just say the exact same thing happened to Ethan last season. Um, and he ended up having to get like a really suboptimal loan, yeah. like on deadline day to Venezia. And he ended up doing really well, of course. But yeah. he could have got a much better loan had he not been forced to say to stay until we ended up signing Saul on deadline day. And I mean, it's just like not only is it bad treatment of the players, but it's also like these are real these are asset these players are assets for the club. Why are they not planning for them? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I know it. it... It's silly, um, and it's just something we're just gonna have to pray it really works out in the next next few days. Um, but yeah, let let let's move on to to this weekend's game. Leicester, three p.m. Are we away? No, we're home. We're home. We're we're at the bridge. Three p.m. Leicester uh, on the Saturday. Um, yeah, Rob, they Leicester haven't been that good this season, and we really should be picking up three points, shouldn't we? 
Yeah, and it's for that reason I'm genuinely terrified. But um, it, it's one of those where, for me, Leicester are a bit of a wounded animal right now, for whatever reason. They haven't started the season fantastically. They've kind of got issues around players of the squad, somewhat caused by us. I would like it to be a game where, given it's at Stamford Bridge, we just go for them. Just, just absolutely don't let them settle. Go for them off the bat. Play kind of all the players that play when we want to go for a high energy pressing style and just don't let them settle. Because I think the worst thing we could do going into this game is to kind of play it cautious, play it passive off the back of that defeat to Leeds and all of a sudden Leicester grow in confidence. But no, I, I, I think we should win this one. I think we'll probably win it quite comfortably. I'm expecting a bit of a reaction from the players because they wouldn't have liked that 3-0 loss to Leeds. I, say, I, I just think it's really imperative that we make sure we're on the front foot, we make sure we're proactive um, and kind of take the game to them. Exactly. Um, yeah, agreed. Um, I will be there my first game of the season, so hopefully the Orlando curse doesn't kick in. But um, I think historically under Tuchel, we've been pretty good at, at like reacting to big defeats um, and bouncing back. So, yeah, I think I actually think potentially if we end up uh, getting like a big result, big performance and really kind of destroying them, it could end up being the the nail in the coffin for Rogers because there have been rumors that he's he's under pressure um and I certainly don't think he'll last the season um but yeah Leicester in an interesting position at the moment um but of course we've just got to kind of treat it as any other game really yeah the biggest thing we're going to have is finding someone to score against them now Rudiger's gone I'm fairly sure he's accounted for like 80% <laughs> of the goals we've scored against them in the last yeah. few years and without Kula Valley at the left centre back I'm not too sure where the goals are going to come from but I think that might be a consistent theme throughout the season. Yeah, it's a good point you mentioned. And another thing I've just remembered is Tuchel, as it stands, will not be on the touchline against Leicester. Um, not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, well, the thing is, if Chelsea Chelsea have the right to appeal it, and then if they appeal it, then it gets suspended. But then my issue is that that's going to come in against Liverpool or something, and we're going to really regret it. So I'm saying you take the hit against Leicester of Tuchel sort of taking his one-game suspension. Um so, so yeah, that that'll be interesting to see if if he's in the stands. Hope he's like next to Fafana or something, just like convincing him to come. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, in that sense, it'll be interesting. I mean, Dan Dan said would win five nil against Leeds if Tuka wasn't on the touchline, and we went and lost three 0 if he was there. So <laughs> maybe something similar will happen. Um, but yeah, Leicester, Orlando. I'll I'll go to your line. I'll go lineup prediction. Well, what you would do. Um, and with a bit of realism, and I think pretty, it is pretty self-explanatory for most of it. Um, but I think Kovacic is back, Broderick won't be back, and Koulibaly is out. So I'll go straight to you and then Rob if you want to go straight away afterwards as well. Yeah, so, okay, Kovacic is back fit, but I am going to assume that he's not going to be ready to start, seeing that he's only returned to training uh, this week and Tuchel is, is generally quite conservative with things like that. So that means you've got a decision for centre mid. Do you continue with Conor Gallagher or do you move Loftus-Cheek into centre mid and put Reese James out to right wing back? Because if you do that, then you um, have got two spots in the back three to fill with Reese James moving out and with uh, Koulibaly suspended. So you could use Kukurea, you could use Trev, you could use Aspi. Um, I'm not sure if, if Tuchel would do that because, you know, two alterations to back three at the same time is, is not always the best idea. But personally, what I would do um, is 
just bring in Trev at, at left centre back. Um because yeah, I'm it's it's unclear whether Chilwell is is at at the level yet. Um so I would go with I mean, I saw a couple of people on Twitter saying Mendy should be dropped and that just made me laugh really. That was I mean, that is overreaction on steroids. Um definitely Mendy and goal. Um I would go Trev, Silva, uh, Reese James, Kukurea, Kante, uh, Gallagher, Loftus Cheek, Mount, Havertz, Sterling. Nice, nice and simple. Rob? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to vary too much on that given the uh, selection issues. What I would say is, is yeah, having one of Trev or Reese at right centre back, I think is pretty critical when the midfield is kind of threadbare as it is because they can step in and support. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as much as I'd like to see James back on the right wing, uh, yeah, I have to be honest with you, it's the exact same lineup that Orlando's given, to be honest with you. I think it's the best way to go. It represents the most energy, as I've said before, um, with uh, enough people on the bench that can change it if needs be. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with Orlando there. What I would say, though, is at this rate, it's probably more likely that we see uh, Chirwell come in at left wing back and Kukurea left centre-back than, than Trev coming in, because because of the kind of uncertainty surrounding his his future at the moment. Yeah, and there's a chance he may not even be in the country by then, so we don't even know that. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree. I think I'll do that as well, and I think it will be Kukrenci one. And I'm, personally, I would love to see Ampadu play at left centre-back, but I can't see that happening either. The same way I can't see Trev playing. Um, so yeah, in that sense, pretty self-explanatory. Starting eleven. Um, of what we think or what we would do. Um, Just very quickly, I mean, it, yeah, it's a slow point. I'd love to see Chilwell have a good game here because the way that he's been randomly written off based on the yeah. three games is is absolutely mental to me. He was phenomenal last year and was just as critical as James when he got injured in terms of our downfall. Yeah, for some reason, it, it, he's been away and then everyone's written him off. So again, I think he's got quite a good record against Leicester. But yeah, I, I'd love to see him play and I'd love to see him kick on because... I can't really understand why people have tried to write him off. Exactly, and he looked, I think he actually looked quite bright off the bench against Leeds in his 10-minute cameo or whatever. He was really getting in nice positions and crossing in and stuff like that. Um, and it, it's always nice to see Chile play, and it's important he gets minutes. As much as we do want to ease him in, he does need minutes to get back to his full fitness, and he's only going to get that by playing. Um, so the best thing is just to throw him in there and see what he can do. Um so yeah, just to wrap it up, we don't have time for loan arm. We can do that in the next episode. But if we, the Champions League draw is at well 5 p.m. today, I'm gonna try and get this out beforehand. Um, prediction. 5 p.m. means 6 p.m. though. Remember. Oh right, yes, because it's the Champions League draw. Absolutely, yeah. They take absolutely ages to get on with these things. Um, um, but yeah, if you, I've sent it in the chat, um, admins wise, if you if you have the pots, but we'll go a prediction from each of you on who we're going to get. Um, it's just a bit of fun to wrap it up. Um, Rob, if you want to go first, then I'll go next and then Orlando can go last. Yeah, I, I was utterly convinced we were going to get Barcelona until I saw we're in the same pot with them. So that's, that's I'm glad we're not going to get them. Um, I think we're going to fall into the category of like a really tough team from pot one and then get quite lucky with pot threes and fours. So if I had to predict, I'm going to, we always get PSG at some point. So let's just get that out of the way in the group stage. It'll be PSG from pot one. And then <laughs> that fate kind of tells you that Leverkusen from pot three, but I'm going to go Salzburg and one of the Scottish clubs. I'll go Celtic. So yeah, PSG, Salzburg and Celtic is going to be my prediction. Very nice. Um, 
Yeah, I would really like to to face the Scottish Cup actually. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Madrid. Um, Real that is in from part one. I can I don't know. I, I actually would really like to face them again. Um, um, part three, I will I will go with Leverkusen. I think Hudson and Doyle. Will... Hudson does move influence things, and then pot four I'll go with Marseille as my prediction. Yeah, I'm gonna go for narrative central, um, <laughs> or maybe Cobham central. Cobham central, it's probably quite predictable, isn't it? AC Milan, Picard Tamori, Bayer Leverkusen, Hudson Adoy, and then pot four. I don't think there are any Cobham graduates, um, and for that reason, I will go for Rangers. Wonderful. Um, yeah, so I think that pretty much wraps it up. Just to finish it off, there is an under 21 game tomorrow um, against Manchester City. Um, it is getting, it is being broadcasted, but tickets are still available. Five pounds for adults, three pounds for juniors or seniors. Um, but yeah, so yeah, make your way down if you can. Otherwise, do do watch. It will be streamed on the fifth down the website. Um, it's been a, it's been a difficult start in the sense that we absolutely humiliated Wolves on the first over the seven-one victory. The second game was a three-nil loss against Fulham, but I'm really ignored that game in the sense that we had about five first-teamers coming and really muck things up. And I think the last game was just you know we lost to a very good academy in Arsenal. Um, so the the City game will be probably similar. It'll be a good fight, um, and hopefully hopefully we get a victory. Um, but anything else? from you two lads before we wrap it up all good all right from me just thank you for listening <laughs> yeah exactly Orlando thank you very much for coming on my, very, my pleasure it's good to be back Rob as well thank you hopefully we get you on soon yeah cheers boys here's open uh, good result on the weekend and two of the three impending transfers fall through Exactly. And on that sense, we'll catch you next time. You know where to find us, thechelsea.spot.com, our Twitter, our Instagram. You're, you can listen to this podcast on all platforms and do give us a review if you can. Um, but yeah, until then, we'll, we'll see you next time.